Welcome back to Perspectives Podcast. My name is Bruce. It's a place for culturally engaging faith perspectives, place of conversation. And I'm happy once again to have my lovely wife, Deborah, here. We started last week on a series on parenting perspectives. We've had eight children. We have had them in different cultures. We come from different background, cultural backgrounds as well. And so we thought it would be interesting as four of our kids have left the nest. What would you say? Adulting? Yes. Trying. Making their way and uh, going to college, working, learning about themselves. And the other four are still here. And so maybe we should wait for these perspectives <laughs> until they're all eight of them are out of the nest. But it's actually interesting to go back and think about that yes, phase. Yes, it is. And these second four are experiencing a different type of parenting than before. Yes, they're getting the grandparenting parenting, mm-hmm. as we talked about in the last episode. So if you if you are interested and you haven't listened to the first one, go back and listen to that's on pregnancy. So we went over mostly Deb, went over what it was like to be pregnant, but also from a husband's perspective, if that's of interest to you. Today, we are going to talk about the newborn phase through three years old. And again, this is just a 10,000 foot view. After going back last week and listening, I realized like, wow, we left a lot out. So we're just flying over, giving a little perspective from both the husband and the wife, and maybe some helpful information for prospective parents or new parents. And just a note as well on single parents, I thought about this week how hard it is, especially with your first child, and to do that together was hard. I can't imagine um, the amount of work and stress and emotional toll is for a single parent and most of those are moms so respect yes. for all of you out there that are journeying alone and God's Give yourself grace. lots of grace exactly we're thinking the same thing grace mm-hmm. on the journey and for those that see single moms out there uh, going through the day and just anything that we can do to come alongside them and bless them whether it's a meal or Uh, friendship, a listening ear. Mm -hmm. We're going to get into the newborn phase. We'll just jump right in. And Deborah, why don't you tell us about this phase? This is my favorite phase of all, I would say. I really enjoy this little tiny being that has come into the world. They're so precious and so little. I love the snuggles and the closeness and them sleeping on you and feeding them looking into their little eyes they're so new and they're looking back up at you we were talking earlier about how they actually bond with the mom in that phase and how that was neat for you yes yes I think it's really amazing how God has designed our human body to feed and nurture and bond with this new being that has come into the world And you get to hold it so close. It's like perfect distance to gaze into each other's eyes. And how important I think that is for their brain and their neural pathways. There's more going on than nutrition happening 
And I think it's a reflection of God wanting to gaze into our faces with delight. And he wants to be the one to feed us and nurture us, take care of us. I I remember the first few times where we would have this new life in our home, in a crib at night, and you walk in and you would see this vulnerable, sweet little life asleep. And as a father, as a parent, like looking over them. And for the first time, being a young dad, having the question in my mind, is this how God sees me? Does he look over me this way and begin to form a new image of the creator as one who looks down over us with love and care? Having this newborn baby, it is a lot of work, a lot of sleeplessness, crying, and with your first one, you're unsure usually what to do. Let's talk about crying because for the first child, anytime it cries, you're on high alert. You're thinking, I need to stop this crying. Yes. (laughs) It's, well, it's a sign. It's the only way they know how to communicate. So they're trying to tell you something that they want to be held or fed. Or they're so super tired. Yes. They would like to sleep. But as a new mom, it's easy to, to think that they're crying because they're hungry. I think that's the go-to usually. Um, and for me, I found having some sort of schedule was really helpful in knowing what to look for or knowing why they were crying. In the beginning, I think I overdid it with the scheduling because I didn't know what I was doing and was thought this was the right way and it was helpful. Have a rhythm to know what to do with this baby. And what do you mean by schedule? So for the scheduling, I would have times where they would eat and then we would keep the baby awake for a while and then it would be time to sleep and they would sleep until the next feeding. And it was generally around the same time periods that they would sleep for a certain amount of time. And then when they woke up, you knew they were hungry Mm-hmm. With a schedule and a rhythm like that, you can actually judge whether they, they are getting enough food versus mm-hmm. demand feeding. You never quite know because they eat different amounts and then they fall asleep. It's up to the mom, however she wants to feed the baby. And whatever works for her, of course, is what's best. For some, maybe it's personality driven. I'm not sure. Uh, but for me, I saw tremendous help in having them on not a strict schedule like I did in the beginning, but a consistent rhythm where even they knew and their bodies knew what was coming and what to expect. And rhythm's a really powerful word, even in our adult life, when we're out of rhythm. I was just talking to Alejandro from a few weeks ago, our podcast, go back and listen to his amazing story from Costa Rica. And he's traveling right now with a baby in another country. And he said, man, I'm tired. And it brought me back to whenever you interrupt our own rhythms, Mm -hmm. let alone like a little baby's rhythm. Yes. And it's hard when you're on the road or in different places for them to stick to their rhythm that they're in. Yeah, so have mercy on traveling Mm -hmm. uh, parents. I know from my perspective, it became a lifesaver for you and for a growing family because we have rhythms, you know, when we have two or three, four or five kids, that baby needs to fit into the rhythm 
of our world. Yes, and it's helpful to know you can actually plan things when you can go out for coffee with some friends. You know already when your baby needs to be home and going to sleep, and so they're not getting overtired out in public. But not to, like you said, overdo it. Sometimes they get sick. Sometimes the mom's sick. There's all kinds of nuances. We would stress over trying to keep this perfect schedule to the point where we were serving the schedule. It wasn't Mm -hmm. serving us. Yes. And personalities come into play a little bit as well. Some cry a little bit more than others. Some are content easier than others. But for all eight... I found a schedule to be helpful for all of them. Yeah, we couldn't have had all of these kids. Without sleep. Without, and the power of sleep. Do you want to talk about that? I found with scheduling that they did sleep earlier through the night. All of them by three months old were sleeping 10, 12 hours a night. Many parents are really afraid to let their child cry. And obviously that makes sense because if they're hurt or they are super hungry, you need to pacify that. But crying is not a bad thing. It can actually be a soothing exercise, right? Yeah, I think they can let go of some of their emotions as they you lay them down to go to sleep. And generally I found they would cry five minutes before they would lay down and go to sleep. Let's talk about consistency because that works together with this idea of crying and scheduling. These babies are so adaptable and we're always training them, right? Like even Mm. inadvertently, we may not realize that you go in and let your baby cry for five minutes one time and then you come in after one minute, you know, the next day you're confusing the baby. Like they really are adapting and in some ways even training us. Yes. If you come in before they've had a time to settle down, then they depend on you to put them to sleep. So there are a couple good ways to help them learn to self-soothe as they go to sleep. And one of them is to put them to bed when they're still awake, but a little bit sleepy. So then you're not trying to put them to bed after they're already asleep. Right. Then they can start to even look forward to going to sleep when they're not super cranky and tired. Glad you brought that up. Another thing that I learned after Broderick, they like to have something to comfort them like a blanket or pacifier. And I learned after him to change the blankets in the crib so they still would have something snuggly to hold on to, but not a certain one that had to be with them everywhere. Right, because we thought that was cute, and then all of a sudden he had to have his blanket all the time. And And when it got lost, it was a disaster. Yeah, we had some disasters. And let's just maybe shift to this idea of discipline versus training. Discipline, this word, has so many negative connotations in the sense of punishment, Mm -hmm. you know? And even with punishment, there's a sense of maybe anger. Training is more about formation. Like we're always being formed. Early on, I think it's safe to say that we had a poor understanding of discipline and we come to parenting with very little knowledge and we're bringing really our own experience 
to the Mm -hmm. table out of the gate as kids, how we were parented, how we were disciplined. We bring that, all of us do, Mm -hmm. into our own parenting. Some of us are purposefully parenting the opposite way because of maybe experiences. We can go to the opposite extreme of our experience. Right. If you are really disciplined, you're going to be super merciful. If you never had it, you might err on being too aggressive or assertive. But what is the heart really of this idea of discipline? Love, right? You're wanting to form the heart of this child. And from these early years, we're really not working with a fully functioning human. Like their brain is still very much operating from the limbic systems, emotional responses, they can't communicate. So there's just a lot of emotion And we sometimes get so riled up and frustrated as a parent that we're acting out ourselves. Yes. And I think this is also a great place where your personality comes into play in many ways. And the way you parent has a lot to do with your personality type and who, what you're trying to accomplish with a child. I think that they come into this world ready to be trained in love. They're open to consistency and boundaries. Speaking of boundaries, they actually like boundaries. Yes, it's comforting for them to know going back to consistency and boundaries. It's, a, it's safe. It's a safe place. When we're constantly in this mode of reaction response versus purposefully you know, training, that we're, the child actually becomes miserable mm-hmm. because they become king of the universe in their little mind. And whether it's the parent or the other siblings, you see what we would call maybe a spoiled child, you know, someone who's just whiny all the time and, and upset and never really happy. And we would say from our experience that that's a child who is suffering because of lack of boundaries. Yes, and too many choices, too much up to the child, and they don't actually like it. And I know we're trying to make them happy, and it's not working. We uh, were introduced early on to a, a ministry, and they had really good principles that we enjoyed. One of them was this idea of the parenting funnel. And if you have used a funnel, you know that it's shaped like a V. And at the narrowest point where the water or whatever else comes through the funnel is representative of the freedoms that we give our children. And as they grow, the goal is that they get more and more freedom. So as you move up the funnel in their age 5, 10, 15, by the time you get to teenage years, The goal is that they have more and more freedom to the point where they're self-governing, but it's based on their capacity Mm -hmm. to actually respond well, to be responsible for the amount of freedoms that they're given. And so the idea is you're responsible with this, you're given more, or you (laughs) should have very limited choices. So if you're choosing what color cup to have at dinner and you're six months old, just give them the cup. Don't let them choose. Don't give them all of these freedoms because they're not ready for it. Yeah. So to move with the development of the child, it's okay to make all the decisions for them early on when you're eating, when you're sleeping, what toys you're playing with. You know, if you give them choices too early, they do 
end up becoming quite miserable because they don't even know what they want. Mm -hmm. I think this was such a good picture and helpful concept, especially for me to see because I am that type that likes to give and to please and to try and make happy and structure and discipline uh, seems more on the negative side for me. But to see this funnel that it works this way just made sense and have the end goal in mind. Right. We'd have these conversations with our older kids too. So they would understand like principally, this is how it's working as you're taking care of the freedoms that we're giving you. You're going to get more. Our Mm -hmm. heart is to give you more freedom to the point where we're not constricting. We're just equals. Yes. And the whole goal of that in the end is friendship. Right. Something that you don't think about as a new parent and you're holding this newborn or that moves into the toddler years, that this little monkey is going to be one of your best friends. Yes. And maybe we try to make them our friends too early when they need us as parents, but to give them time to develop and help them make decisions and then they can move into that freedom and Mm -hmm. friendship stage. Parents that flip the funnel upside down Mm -hmm. and instead of constricting and making all these decisions, the child is the center, they're making all the decisions and as they get older, what happens? The funnel, it's an upside down V and so the freedoms begin to be restricted because they haven't been uh, responsible with the freedoms and made mistakes or even rebellion. And you get into the young adult teenage years and what happens, these kids just want to jump ship, get out of here because there's all these rules. One practical practice was for these little toddlers was to give them blanket time. And it really reflects, I think, their ability to adapt and also their love for boundaries. Yes, we started off actually with a playpen, playpen time, and started off with a few minutes, set the timer, and put them in when they are just got up from a nap, or when they're happy, not when they're tired and whiny, uh, with a few toys that they liked and a timer. And the timer would go off, and then you take them out, and you increase the time as the days go by. And they look forward to having this time where it's they're focused and they know they know what to expect. Yeah, they only have a few things to think about. Mm-hmm. Not a whole house to explore. It's like I've got three or four toys and I you'd see them at first it was so cute. You know, they go to the edge of the little blanket and put their little paws <laughs> over top. And so how would you keep them inside? Oh, you're moving to blanket time. So after playpen time, they've gotten used to being in a boundaried place where they can't get out. And then you can put a blanket on the ground when they're a little bit older and more mobile and do the same thing. And because they already understand this concept, they know, oh, okay, timer's on, got my toys here. They, sh- they shift pretty easily. They would try and get off the blanket. Come around the corner, they're gone. Well, generally you should stay close. Okay. They start to get off. You just put them back on and just keep putting them on and and it'll click in their brain. Like, okay, I need to stay on here. The toddler years are my favorite. 
Deborah loved the newborns. And I think it was because they were finally, I could bond with them. They became mm-hmm. a little play buddy. You would be nursing them all the time and they're not awake very much as yeah. newborns. So they sleep a lot. So eventually around six months, they're detached from mama and I can play with them. And that was really fun season uh, of their development and really a time where you're training them all the time, training them attitudes. And even when you're being silly, really training never stops. They're learning, they're picking up, they're mimicking your attitudes. And all of a sudden you realize this little child's like a mirror into my own way of being, my own soul. Yes, we were at the mall the other day drinking some coffee and it was just the funniest thing to me to look and see this little boy. I didn't see his mom. He must have been about four or five. And I wondered what he was doing because he walked up to this rack and, you know, a big pair of pants on there. And I saw him lift up this pair of pants off the hanger, thought, what is he going to do? And he held it up to himself, you know, like up to his neck (laughs) and then he puts it back on the hanger and walks around and picks up a shirt and does the same thing holds it up to himself walks around to another shirt and I thought that is just so funny how he's mimicking what he's seeing adults around him do this is what you do with clothes at the store and this is what they do in every aspect of the family so if it's how we react as parents when something doesn't go our way, they pick it up. Even before they can speak the words, there's an attitude, there's formation taking place. Yeah, It is kind of scary that that happens, and it is a mirror to your own self. Everything with the first child is first everything. So the first time to go for a drive with your child in the back seat and you're driving around, first time to go to the park, as they get older and start to walk, it's like, oh, we can take them to the zoo. You can't wait for every first step, first word. I was just vicariously kind of replaying my own childhood. I wasn't really being present as much as I was reenacting the things that I remember were cool and brought me joy. Well, it's interesting to think about how we start parenting and we're parenting for ourselves. Like we're enjoying this child or what we're wanting from this experience and not so much seeing them and parenting for them as an individual. And after we've had all these kids, you can go back and see these kids were unique. Mm -hmm. Their personalities, how they responded to different situations were different, how they responded to discipline or training. We couldn't see that because we were so focused on kind of getting the same outward obedience from them. You know, we were big on first time obedience, you know, Mm -hmm. not second time, not third time, first time being consistent with that. Well, how do you get that is, is different based on the different personalities. And now, now we see that, but back then we were just so focused on the result of obedience. We wanted all the behavior to be the same. And back then I had this idea that a family, a good family, like you all looked the same. There was a right way to do parenting and not taking into account who you are personally, who your spouse is personally, and then you add children who are all different into the mix. And so every a family is going to be unique and add a different flavor to the world. And we all come from different spiritual, religious backgrounds, maybe no religion at all. We did have a religious outlook 
much more back then. Religious in terms of set beliefs, right beliefs, you know, and, and like you're saying, an, an outcome. I think that that perpetuated kind of this focus away from just nurturing the heart because we didn't, even in our own relationship with God and with ourselves, we were like living into this idea more than we were living into our true self. Yes. And your theology really comes into play in every aspect of life. And that includes parenting. Not sure if I should say this, but you know, you're kind of parenting with the goal that they don't end up in hell. Right. Out of fear. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's fear parenting. Yeah. So we'd like to apologize to our first few kids. It's true. Like at the beginning, you are just trying to do your best and you don't want to mess up. You know how valuable this life is and you're parenting out of the view you have of God. What's God's ultimate end for me as a parent, as a mom, as a dad? Uh, and so as that evolved in our marriage, in our lives, that no, it's not about keeping us from hell. Like the creator of the universe is a father and he loves and he has done some amazing things to come into this world, to woo us, to shepherd our, our hearts. And so as our view of God, the Father changed, so does our parenting. And we see this merciful God who's so patient. We were talking the other day about holding space for the rebellion Mm-hmm. in the heart of the child or teenager. We don't have to be so reactive. When we know who we are and that we're deeply loved, we can not react and respond, which so much of our parenting yes. is. Unconscious reactions that come from our own childhood, I think. And yeah, as your view of God changes, then this like this training, and we're talking about discipline you know, is impacted greatly by our view of God and how does he punish and what is his goal for us? Mm -hmm. We focus in on the life of Jesus. We see towards the end of his life with his own disciples that he had spent three years training. And he says something so interesting. He says, I no longer call you disciples. I call you friends. And this is the creator of the universe in the person of the son, if you're a believer, follower of Jesus. And the end goal is friendship. And so friendship requires respect, requires uh, an engaging, listening, present, um, not just seeing the end. I'm going to train and get certain outcomes of obedience, and you're going to read your Bible, and you're going to go to church, and you're going to check off these boxes and be a good little boy or girl, versus let's journey together and there are rules, there's order within a family, uh, but how they fall in line can be approached in many different ways. Well, I love how you use that word respect, and I think that maybe captures the essence of respecting this human being. There's a real soul in there that's longing to be discovered and known and seen And so even in the hard times or emotional, when they need correction, you know, there's, there's a living, precious soul in there that we can't just be flippant with. When we do discipline, which I did most of it Mm -hmm. and still do, (laughs) um, we would use these little wisdom makers we call their little 
dowel rods that we would just place strategically throughout the house. <laughs> so, because we had a lot of kids, and so you never know when you need one. For the toddler years, I did too much of that. I wanted to see the outward obedience, and it worked. Most of the time, there was too much focus on outward obedience, and so I'd use these little, like, little sticks, and we would smack their hands or smack their bums. One thing that we didn't put up with in our home, and again, this comes back to culture and what you value in your family, Mm -hmm. but was lying, was deceit. We would be more merciful to other forms of defiance uh, and patient, but when it came to lying, I just felt that, yeah, when they approach two, three years old and they start to manipulate and not tell the truth, without truth, it's impossible to build trust And that's the heart of a relationship between, you know, the mother and son or daughter, father, son and daughter. And so if there was deception or lying and we, every one of them would do it, you know, did you make your bed? Yes. (laughs) Or whatever. You go up there, it's not made. And they, they test it, you know, is this something I can get away with or living in an alternate reality of my own making. And so I, I would spank to kind of bring them back to this is, this is not tolerable for us to function in a meaningful relationship. Um, I think that would lay the foundation for building trust that if they see truth as something you value as a parent, then they know that they can trust you to be speaking the truth. It would be sometimes so cute. You'd want to laugh. You'd have this three-year-old and they just are looking at you and just so convinced in their mind that they didn't do what they just did. And so even their own mind's still developing. And so you need to be merciful and patient. There's much more to say about training and discipline, but it's in the future podcast, you know, when they're 10, 12, preteens, teens, but it does begin in when they're two years old, three years old, they do start to look for weaknesses Mm -hmm. in the system and their heart wants to be satisfied with whatever longings they have in the moment. And there's very little self-control. Yes. And we talked last time about being a united front. So they can't come to mom because dad said no. And they know, well, I'm the weaker one. So probably mom will say yes. And every one of them tested tested, uh, the weaknesses in our marriage, which they're there. And I'm sure they still manipulate us in some ways. They do try and look for vulnerability. And I think of Jurassic Park, whenever I think of this, where the velociraptor, you remember, it's, it's inside this impenetrable cage. And there's no way it's going to get out. But it's smart and it's always thinking and it looks and it knows when the latch is open and it ends up escaping. But these little dinosaurs, even two, three years old, will expose Mm-hmm. things in your marriage, your consistency, your unity. The, the strength of your family is the harmony, unity of your marriage. Yes, a good reminder to bring up that the marriage is the center of the family and the child is not. Right. It's it's easy to make this child the center yes, because they're so demanding. But if our f- marriage is the center, we w- we would do things like couch time, Mm-hmm. where we would purposely just mom and dad sit on the couch. They would come and try and wiggle their way in the middle and we would put them down off the couch. This is mommy and daddy time. 
It has to have a visual represent, representation of just mom and dad talking, and this is important time for them to connect and be together, and that the child can see that in a consistent basis as well. And they love it. Yes. That's why they want to be in the middle of it. <laughs> right? Sometimes if, it's, if we've parented in a way that we've made convince them that they are the center, they will hate it. They need an environment where they feel safe. Like even to test boundaries and test things, you can do that in a safe environment. And if they know that there is stability, that there's love, there's commitment, then they are safe to grow, to be themselves. Yeah, they relax. Yeah. Yeah, and and so give yourself permission to prioritize your marriage. And if they react, then that's okay. Mm -hmm. Because they will adapt to this reality that, no, I'm not the center. This is something I'm a part of. And that's how a family works. If we had just a bunch of little dinosaurs running around and all we're doing is reactive parenting, then I think there's no way we'd be here today. Yes. And the kids do eventually leave and you're back to just your marriage. So there better be something there. (laughs) That stays through the years. (laughs) Okay. So we're moving to the end of our podcast, but I wrote down a couple things. Uh, Sign language. Early on, they do not have the prefrontal cortex functioning. They're not able to put words together, but they do want to communicate. Yes. And there are a few simple sign language motions that they learn when they're pretty young. don't remember exactly when we started, but it's pretty young. I would say between six and eight months. And there's a few words that really help them communicate. I mean, they know what they want to communicate, but They can't. And to give them this little way to communicate with you was so precious that you could understand what they wanted. More. All done. Thank you. And please, we're kind of our go-to. The main four. And and I remember the high chair, so they're being fed. So that's where we would see it. I want more. I'm all Mm -hmm. done. Let me down. (laughs) And thank you. And please, were requirements that they would pick up on just to be polite. They don't understand what being polite means. Yeah, I think it was important for them even to start to learn how to obey with these very simple hand gestures. Yes, it was so sweet. I just want to go back now and see them do it again. We probably teach them different words. <laughs> yeah. Something silly. <laughs> or, or all the wrong sign languages. <laughs> Difference between first-time parents... And later on, you realize if it's not fun, then it's probably not having much of an effect. Another thing to talk about is that to make sure if you're training, do it when the parent is well rested, Mm -hmm. not exhausted, and don't do it like in the grocery aisle. Mm -hmm. Go home. Go home and do it in a positive environment. We do that with pets. We know that it doesn't work if there's fear and anxiety and stress. Do it in the context of positivity. Yes, so you don't regret what you end up saying or doing in that moment. And maybe we'll talk about that later, but that process of, because we will make many mistakes, but the process of reparation of those times and mistakes is vital for a child's development. The influence of culture is very real as well. 
And we think of all the Ukrainians that are uprooted and now in all the different countries around the world. They're now in contexts where parenting and perspectives, rituals and rhythms are so different. And they'll have an effect on their parenting as well. Yes, and that's a good thing to pay attention to, to even understand what your culture is saying is important and vital. And maybe it is, but maybe it's not. And to take a look at what you are believing about parenting and children that's coming from the culture. Right. To be aware of your own culture, that's very difficult. It requires you to experience other cultures, to travel, to get out, to be around relationships that can offer new ways of looking at the world. But you realize once you're out of your own particular culture, that culture can be made, that culture is really the values that you have as a husband and wife, as a mom and a dad, that you want to have kind of baked into your own home. So you create these visual shared experiences. So if it's dinner, you sit down. We did. That was a big central part of our growing up and everyone had their place around the table. What are the things that you, listening to this podcast, that you value to process that and to come up with things that make your family unique and you can have your own culture inside of the dominant culture? Again, like taking your personalities into account will affect some of the things you value. So if you're a really fun, outgoing person, you're going to value some different experiences than maybe we would. Yeah, where every family doesn't need to look the same Mm -hmm. and to celebrate that uniqueness. Okay, so we've come to the end of our podcast and we're going to go back in time and give ourselves our younger selves, three words of advice. I'll go ahead and start. And this is, again, for just the newborn to three years old. One, I would tell Bruce to not work so much. I remember in this season, we are very productive. We're working hard, maybe late nights. They grow up so fast that I would tell myself just to be present, especially being there for dinner, missed too many of those. For my number one, I would say, of course, having a newborn is a huge deal. And it's a a big experience. Your body is changing and you're taking care of this new life that can't do anything for itself. And again, to give yourself a lot of grace for this period of time. Uh, It took me many kids maybe most of them, and I still couldn't allow myself the time I needed to heal. I couldn't allow myself the time to relax and and be with this new child. I always felt like I need to be doing more and getting myself back together, taking care of kids in the house, and maybe you've got a job. And I would tell myself, it's okay, these few months will fly by. Kids slow you down, and that's a good thing. That's good. For my second word of advice, I would tell myself to not worry in this first stage about the moral reason why. <laughs> uh, and I think part of that was some teaching that we we received, and it works later on where you're really trying to root 
the young children that you're, you know, maybe from ages three to 10 to respect others, to be aware of others. That first stage really is about getting to know their personalities, enjoying their personalities. Yeah. And not so much trying to make them into, you know, Christians. Yes, I would agree. And that would be my second point too. And probably for every stage, it's to enjoy You're watching these little personalities emerge and watching again our grandson from afar. And it's just bringing back the joy of seeing a unique person come into the world and to love and enjoy this time where they're silly and goofy and exploring and just the wonder in their eyes and to appreciate and learn to be like them. I think we're saying the same thing over and over, but this is my (laughs) third and final one, and that is to respect their flowering personality. Again, because of the first few kids, it was so focused on outward obedience that our older kids, their, their personalities were like hidden because I was so focused on outcomes that they began to just kind of be who I wanted them to be or we wanted them to be, at the expense of their uniqueness. And I'm sorry for that, you know, and I think we all look to our parents and with some degree of like, what have you done to me? (laughs) But that's our journey is, you know, learning who we are and being free in that. I think I could still discipline and train and be more aware of that reaction is really just their personality. They're not really rebellious or that word that they gave wasn't a confrontation to me. You know, Mm -hmm. it was more just them being quirky can see now what they Mm -hmm. were being like, and I should just have rolled with it. And there's another way to get to their heart Mm -hmm. instead of here's my parenting principles. I'm going to overlay over all you personalities. So there's some regret there. And I would tell myself, to step back and parent more like we do now. You know, our house is a little more chaotic and loose and there's not a lot of rules, but there's a lot more fun. Even the way we get on each other's nerves is still a way for us to grow all together. And connect. Right. Uh, For my third one, I think we've touched on it a few times in this podcast, but it would be if I could go back and tell myself, I would tell me to get to know myself, who I was, who I was bringing into these relationships. Uh, I think self-discovery is a very important thing, and we're learning through our whole lives who we are, what we like, what we enjoy, what we bring to the world, and I missed out on that step, becoming involved just as a mom and focusing um, most of my energy on them and not on myself and who I was and what I needed. I'm very proud of my daughter-in-law for doing this and working with herself and discovering who she is as she raises our grandson. Mm -hmm. Why we do things is more important than what we are doing, like the motivational place. And I think that comes right back to, like you're saying, our view of God back to this father 
if we experience that deep love, it liberates us. And we're not trying to parent for the world. We're not trying to create this family that somehow affirms our ego or false self or sinful nature, whatever. They're all the same. (laughs) And so being vulnerable, being real is something that just takes time. So be gracious to yourself, young parents. And I hope that this podcast encourages you. Next week, we're going to get into the middle ages Mm. I guess so from four to maybe 12 or Mm -hmm. 10 somewhere in there so if you have kids of that age uh, come back or if you plan to and we'll have some fun so thanks for listening bye-bye